nothing wrong There's a code of silence and it can't go on Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 20th of July 2009. There's always a newcomers looking into the, the show, so I advise them to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website where you can download hundreds of talks I've given before where I try to give you the shortcuts to the big picture of the system in which we live. And it's an organized system outside of politics that really runs the world and guides us as to where we're going. So you can download uh, these for free, and you can also look at the other sites, bookmark them for future use in case any of the big sites go down once more, and you'll always go to cuttingthrough.jenkness.com, very dependable site, that's J-E-N-K-N-E-S-S dot jenkness.com. There's also cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca, and there's Alan Watt cuttingthroughthematrix.ca. Plus, there's Alan Watt sentient, sentinel.eu, which is a European site. And that also has all the audios of the talks, but it has, on top of that, it has transcripts which you can download for print-up, written in the various languages of Europe. And lots of people do prefer to read. And I don't blame them. You can remember things much, much easier when you, you read. And you're not reading off the net either if you print things up. It stays in your mind when you read off paper. Remember, too, that you keep me going uh, with your orders for the books, etc., that I have for sale on the website. Or you can go into the website and see the PayPal button to donate if you wish. That helps uh, delay or free some of the costs that uh, get put upon me for doing all this stuff. And remember, too, the personal checks are fine from the U.S. to Canada. Uh, you can also use Western Union outside the country if you want, or MoneyGram even. And some people who are innovative just send cash. That saves everyone uh, dollars in the end because the banks are making enough money off things as it is on both ends of transactions. And who wants to help them after all the ripoffs recently? And for those who simply get discs burned and given to them, so they can play on their, their players at home, CD players. You can write to me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P, as in Peter, 3, E, as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N, as in Nora, and the number 1, p 3 e four. N1. As I said at the start, you know that uh, the big system outside of politics is very important to understand. Politics really is just the launching pad for the public where laws are, are mandated and we're told childish stories as to why they put into force. And politicians are really a, an awful bunch of, of, of lesser psychopaths. It, it attracts them like a magnet. And they start off working for charities in your area. That's how they get into politics. Then there's always a wise man, as they call him, at the head of the table in these charitable organizations. He also belongs to all the lodges. And if you keep attending and do what he says and eventually get invited out for a game of golf, maybe, 
that's where real decisions are made, then he put you forward as some sort of candidate and give you some kind of backing for local politics. And they have no interest whatsoever in charities. Some of you should join these organizations uh, for charities, and you'll see them for yourself. You'll see them come in with their briefcases and their tweed suits on, and all want, they want to be politicians, but they have to go through this apprenticeship first. See how it's done, and eat very well. Big cakes and stuff they have for all these little talks that they have as they discuss charitable works. Back with more after these messages. through the matrix. I just mentioned there how people get into politics at the bottom level, not the ones who are uh, promoted from a bit higher, but most folk at the bottom start off in charitable organizations that are really set up by those that run the local towns. If you want to know who they are, you'll see they're under charitable or philanthropic organizations and a big billboard outside each town. You'll see all their symbols there and the clubs that they belong to, that tells you who runs everything in the town and all the societies and agencies and councils, etc. Therefore, they also run the charitable institutions. And there's a wise man, an older guy, at the end of the table that runs his show. And the charities generally, if you ever go there, you wonder what they're doing because they never do anything, really, except eat. Because they've got a budget from all the incoming charitable uh, money and so on, and they eat awfully well but they don't really do much as far as the charities go. Uh, look into yourself and, and even join them. You'll see this happening, and you'll see the type that come in. They're actually trying to get a resume uh, set up uh, to go from one organization to another as in charitable works to get into the lower echelons of politics. And they have no interest whatsoever in poor or suffering or homeless people. None whatsoever. Fascinating. That's a great shield, a great shield. Charities are it's a fantastic shield for the big foundations to hide behind as they mandate the future for the public. The parallel government, parallel government is what Professor Carol Quigley called it. And he said the parallel government is unhampered by having to be responsible to the public. They're not responsible to the public because they're not elected. And they're run by the foundations and funded from a hundred different sources and, and other foundations. And they lobby governments who are only too happy to take the suggestions or demands and put them into law because the, the, the politicians know that that's their job. Listen to these guys. Listen to the foundation boys and NGOs or you're out. That's what their bosses tell them, you see. That's how it's all run. And as far as us voting them in, that's a complete farce. It's just a wrestling show, as I say, for the public, because you're so ticked off at the last lot that we're in as it tax you into the grave uh, and go in all kind of directions and never mention during election time. And so you're so sick of them, you vote the next bunch in and, and live in hope. We live in hope, you see. That's why it works. And we keep voting. I don't vote, so I've never voted. I'm proud to say. And how do they get it across? Well, they see that they have instant access to the media. Who owns the media? Well, the big barons, who also belong to the high agencies and foundations. Quigley went through this process when he talked about how the barons of the media got together in London before World War II and decided how they could create massive crisis and terror within the public of Britain 
to get them ready psychologically so they'll go towards war with Germany. And he got this from the records, by the way, because all were members of the Royal Institute for International Affairs slash CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, the same organization. And they decided to claim that Hitler was going to gas the whole of Britain. And, uh, he, he, and as I say, he's taken this from their own minutes of the meetings as the official historian of this organization. And they did decide tearing up trenches all, all over London, which would have been no use at all for anything. But the public didn't know that. Uh, and then they got the king to give a speech to terrify the public about wearing gas masks. And they issued everybody with the gas mask, knowing they'd never, ever be used. But that was all for preparation to terrify public. And that's what we have going on today. Crisis after crisis since 2001. Terror, terror, terror. Terror from the skies. The, the climate's changing. Terror from terrorists. Uh, terror from the avian flu that kind of faded away. And terror from the, the swine flu. And, 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 oh, just massive. And terror from economic collapse. Everything's terror. This is manufactured this by the same guys working for the same foundations and organizations, CFR, as, they start, as the ones that, that terrified the bejesus out of everybody for World War II. Same techniques, you see. And they use environmentalism mainly today. No one votes in these non-governmental organizations, but isn't it strange, they always get massive media coverage these private little so-called charitable groups. Massive media coverage. And here's an article about it here. A tongue-in-cheek article from someone at least can still make a joke in the media. And it's from the BBC News, 6th of January 2006. Earth is too crowded for utopia. By Chris Rapley, the global population is higher than the Earth can sustain, argues the director of the British Antarctic Survey in the first of a series of environmental opinion pieces on the BBC News website entitled The Green Room. Solving environmental problems such as climate change is going to be impossible without tackling the issue, he says. Now, I've read countless articles from the Ultimate Population Trust, another big uh, NGO with with the official status, even though they're non-elected, non-democratic. And this is just another one of those kind of uh, releases, you see. But, it, but see, this is, what, this is, this is from the, the Montreal Summit on the Control of Carbons Emissions. It's called Beyond Kyoto, the big worldwide meeting they had. Montreal is a very popular place for this kind of stuff. Beyond Kyoto. Most folk out there, the general public, have no idea what Kyoto even is because they've never followed anything that matters in their life. But beyond Kyoto, so I remember the last time they had a meeting, uh, they admitted they had to issue all these terrifying statements to the public, to terrify the public, to motivate them and raise public awareness on these issues. So they went, so they, they, you might say they tad, uh, there was a tad exaggeration in everything that they said. Beyond Kyoto. But then this reporter was on to say, that's a lot of people, you know, 10,000 delegates, unelected, by the way, by any country or any people. He says, that's a lot of people. The conference organization must have been daunting. And just imagine arranging the hotel accommodation and restaurant facilities and dealing with additional human-generated waste in Montreal, you see. 
Imagine the carbon and nitrogen emissions from the associated air travel. The 40 or more decisions made were announced as an historic success. Supposing this proves to be so, will it be sufficient to secure an acceptable quality of life for the generations to come? What about the myriad of other planetary-scale human impacts? For example, on land cover, the water cycle, the health of ecosystems, and Mr. Mr. Strong's biodiversity. What about our release of other chemicals into the environment? What about our massive transport and mixing of biological material worldwide and our unsustainable consumption of resources? All of these effects interconnect and add up to the collective footprint of humankind on our planet's life support systems, etc., etc. Since the consequences extend to the ends of the Earth, recall the hole in the ozone layer over the Antarctic that kind of filled itself up if it even existed, and Earth is difficult to predict and is challenging to deal with as a link between carbon emissions and climate. It would surely be impractical and almost certainly ineffective to assemble 10,000 delegates to address each one of these issues, and especially to do so in a necessary joined-up way. Because about the, the annual rise in the population and all the rest of it, which actually is rubbish because, because it's, it's really, it's not the first world countries, it's not the Western countries, but in fact the Western countries as the UN keeps submitting every year, reluctantly so, uh, the, people, the native people uh, are having fewer and fewer children. Many have, have opted for the last 30, 40 years to have none at all. And the only reason the, the populations go up in the Western world, and as many articles I have some here, in fact, I was going to read one, uh, is because of immigration. So the same governments, you see, and you already think about this, why would governments for 40 years or 30 years open the doors wide to immigration from the most populous countries in the world? And why would the government then demand that their own people take the blame for overpopulation? See how they do it. And yet, from their own census bureaus, they'll tell you that. As I say, that the folk that have been there for generations are having fewer and fewer children, or none at all. And their populations are dropping all the time. And I've said it before, you see, there's no favoritism in this world's global system. The people that you think represent you are internationalists. They have to be to be elected, to be, put, to be even put forward to be elected. And Quigley said, they always put in members of the CFR at the top of all parties. And it's the same today with even Obama. Obama is up there on Google ask, being asked that question. Are you a member of the CFR? He says, well, I've talked there on a few occasions. I don't know if I'm a member or not. Well, you see, you're not asked to talk there unless you are a member. They make you a member when you talk. That's the whole point of it. You can't ask to join it. You have to be. You, you are requested to join so here they are on about, you know, they can't get their utopia in because the earth's too crowded. And as they flood the remaining cities, the only cities that never really expand, do you realize that under the various policies they signed at the United Nations, they haven't been expanding suburban areas since the 60s? They made it law in every country. They all signed on a treaty. So they can only build upwards on existing 
building, so knock the old building down and build a new one. And that gives you the impression that you're absolutely overcrowded, but so does the immigration that just floods in every year. And I've given, I've read articles before from various papers where even people like Maggie Thatcher admitted they had to open the floodgates to Britain, for instance, because there weren't enough people that had children to pay off the national debt. That was the excuse. Back with more after these messages. how much conditioning they've had over many, many years towards what's coming down now, the big hype and how it change our ways with, with uh, uh, climate change and uh, you know, eating too much and too many people, plagues coming. We've had, you know, we've had hundreds of movies, hundreds of them over the years conditioning us. And we didn't realize we were being conditioned through fiction. Gets the idea in your head, even Soylent Green. Really, it was about overpopulation, when people are stuck and, and crowded into these big cities. And there's a sort of desert out there somewhere. They never tell you why there's a desert out there. There's always a desert out there, and nothing's growing, just sand, you see. Uh, and people have to eat people eventually. That It was from a book called Make Room, Make Room. So that it was, I'm no doubt, paid for by the big scary guys at the UN. And they do that, by the way. They do pick authors through the Futurist Society, say, look, this is the theme because we want to scare people. Do it and write a story around it, a little human interest story with a hero you know, and a villain. That's generally what they do. And you get conditioned along that. In the meantime, there was back in the 50s, I think it was, they show it once in a while in CBC Canada here, late night movies. It's always the same ones over and over. Uh, Vincent Price came out in a movie I think it was called The Last Man. And it was about a plague that broke out. He's a scientist. And uh, The Last Man on Earth, it was called. And he was a scientist. And uh, somehow it's, it's always the same, even down to the recent movies that came out in the, in the late 90s and, and 2000 or so. Uh, people who get infected become kind of zombies and they try to kill or go after the people who are unaffected. I don't know why that would happen with a disease, but that's how they showed it. And at the same time, there was other movies coming out to do with containing a plague in a village and how they would do it right down to having to nuke the place if necessary, which is a strange enough part of NATO's policy if it really got that bad. So we've had conditioning through fiction primarily, that we enjoy fiction and scary stuff and we go on to the next scary movie without thinking. And Star Trek, they had it too. They had Star Trek where Kirk, uh, one of the first ones, uh, Kirk uh, arrives on a planet where it's overpopulated because of cured all disease. Straight out of the Huxley scenario for cured diseases, you know, there'd be too many people. Well, too many of the wrong sorts of people. Uh, and that's what they had in the Star Trek one. So Kirk goes there and, uh, again, this little romantic thing with a girl from the planet who was sent there to become infected, hopefully. That was the idea from Kirk, who brought Earth viruses with them. And they were just so grateful to be infected and to start to be killed and died. So grateful they were. But this is what they call raising public consciousness. 
I would add through deception, through fiction, you see. So many of the stuff. And back in the 90s, we had Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman and a whole host of them. And right through the Bush era, we're dealing with terrorism everywhere. And he coupled that with, with outbreaks of, of man-made disease as well. There was one awful one made. It was called Right at Your Door. To get you all ready for what to expect when they say, Oh my God, quarantine, quarantine, right at your door. Awful, terrible movie, as they all are. But this is the technique, as I say, that the Royal Institute of International Affairs-CFR, Media Barnes, did to set up World War II. Oh, you're all going to get gassed to death at any minute. So much so, and even advised that the, the, the people of London send their children out around the country. They evacuated all these children, knowing darn well, knowing dar- darn well, and from other places too that never even got bombed eventually, knowing darn well there was no gas going to come. Just to terrify the public. Anything. The end justifies the means, and the scarier they can make it, the more convincing, the happier they are, then it's worked, obviously. Interestingly, too, you know, with the SARS outbreak in, in Toronto, that kind of fizzled out when supposedly it was going to kill us all. Just recently, I looked at an old videotape of a documentary made by the CBC Canada, and they put a lot of money, mind you, it's our tax money that runs it, a lot of our money into making this thing to terrify us, a sort of docudrama, actors and non-actors working together to do with plague, a coming plague, you see. And at that time, they were talking about uh, the avian flu. And they said, oh, it might kill millions and millions of people across the world, and millions of Canadians would die too. And then they even had a leader at the UN declaring it as though it's actually been declared uh, as, as now as epidemic proportions. All these people acting. Well, that fizzled out too. Because there's more folk killed every year from the regular flu than has ever been killed in all these years with the avian flu. And by the way, in, in most of those countries where they say, oh, people died or are suspected to have died from the avian flu, they, they, there's actually a, uh, they actually drink the blood of the chickens before they'll cook them because the blood's a, der- a delicacy. Whereas if you cook the darn things, it kills everything, bacterium or virus. But they don't mention that because they want you to be terrified, right? Anyway, the avian flu was for the birds and it kind of flew away, it's, you know. And they came up with the swine flu. And it's rather obvious from everything that they're doing here that, that uh, they mean business, not because the swine flu is any problem. But they mean business. There's something going on here. There's, there's something out there. And it's a mandate, obviously. You don't spend all of tax money, and we're broke, supposedly, uh, on all this uh, bugaboo stuff that's going to help us. Uh, unless there's something planned, either something going to be released or something else. I'll be back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. through the matrix. This article here is from the Kansas City Star, July 17th, 
2009. Legal immunity set for swine flu vaccine makers by Mike Stobb, AP medical writer. The last time the government embarked on a major vaccine campaign against a new swine flu, thousands filed claims contending they suffered side effects from the shots. It wasn't just contending. I mean, there are thousands of young, young people especially became paralyzed with it permanently. Others had strokes. This time the government has already taken steps to head that off, meaning claiming against them, putting claims against the vaccine makers. Vaccine makers and federal officials will be immune from lawsuits. Isn't that wonderful in fascism eh? at the top? It's fascist at the top, communist at the bottom for us. But isn't that wonderful how fascism works? They just write a law so you, you can't do anything as they paralyze you or kill you. And, and supposedly elected, elected governments uh, do what the vaccine makers want and don't even listen to the people. Back then, what's new, eh? <laughs> so vaccine makers and federal officials will be immune from lawsuits that result from any new swine flu vaccine under documents signed by Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Kathleen Sebelius, government health officials said Friday. Since the 1980s, the government has protected vaccine makers against lawsuits over the use of childhood vaccines. Isn't that wonderful, too? Instead, a federal court handles claims and decides who will be paid from a special fund. The document signed by Sibelius last month grants immunity to those making a swine flu vaccine under the provisions of a, new, of a 2006 law for public health emergencies. <laughs> it allows for a compensation fund if needed. Okay. The government takes such steps to encourage, drug, to encourage drug companies to make vaccines, and it's worked. Federal officials have contracted with five manufacturers to make a swine flu vaccine. First identified in April, swine flu has so far caused, and then they give the usual spiel, which isn't true, 263 deaths. According to numbers released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, like the prevention part, they're, they're controlling it and preventing it. On Friday, the CDC said more than 40,000 Americans have had confirmed or probable cases, but those are people who sought health care. It's likely that more than 1 million Americans have been sickened by the flu, many with mild cases. They're all guessing how many folk have even had this. The swine flu, according to those that have had it, is, is so mild, they don't even know if they've got a, a little allergy for a runny nose or it's a mild cold. And it lasts about two days. So why all this hype? Hmm. Why all this hype? Remember, too, to become the killer flu, it would have to, it would have to alter itself into something that's even more contagious and more deadly. So in other words, it would kill a lot more victims. But that doesn't happen. And until you had that particular virus, you wouldn't have supposedly the proper flu vaccine it's no use giving it a different strain of that otherwise since we've all had the flu at some time in our lives we'd all be, we'd be immune to every strain of flu that ever came along if that was the case you see so why give a mild flu vaccine shot across whole countries every country is going to do it by force and law if it's not to, it's not a vaccine against the killer one. Why? Is it just money? 
this money thing thing is just reading money. No, the guys at the top have more money than they can handle. But what you can certainly do is give everyone who gets a shot some awful disease, perhaps deadly. And then they can say, well, the vaccine didn't work. You've caught the flu. It's a mutated flu you've caught, and you're dying of it. That will cover them. You see, that will cover the fact that it might be the, the shot that did it. Because all these inoculations are faith-based. The nurse or the doctor believes what that vial says on it. And everyone else that takes it that believes the same thing. No one, no one tests it to see that if that's what it's supposed to be. And there's other ingredients they put in too that people react severely with to heighten the blood supply to the infection site as they put it injected into you is going to attract the blood supply. Supposedly under the theory that uh, your antibodies will, 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 will start attacking this thing and produce its own antibodies. That's the theory behind it. Remember when the AIDS, supposedly the AIDS uh, scare came out, it still debated yet what the earth caused it because the, the first generation that died off with it had completely different symptoms than the ones who die now. But regardless, the theory then was, and they kept telling us, they couldn't make a vaccine because it kept mutating, like all viruses mutate. Well, if that's the case, until you have the killer flu, the actual killer on the go, and take that virus, it's a killer one, not this one that gives you the sniffles for a couple of days. Until you have the killer, you can't get the proper vaccine for it by their own theories. So what's, what's, what's going on here? And isn't it strange that every country is utterly broke, supposedly, after the Great Depression we just had? And supposedly we're going to feel the full effects of the economic depression that hasn't hit us yet in the fall, the late fall. At the same time, supposedly, it's just absolutely certain that the swine flu is going to mutate into a killer. Strange how everything happens, almost like a script eh, in a movie. And how come they got all this dough to throw around at militaries and everything else when we're all broke, supposedly? And they're spending like you wouldn't believe. What's really going on, eh? What's really going on? And at the same time as this is happening, the UK and Britain has to spend a hundred million pounds. It's like two hundred million dollars. There's an article I read about a month or two ago. It said Britain, the last budget they made in Britain, was was in excess of the combined budgets and debts that Britain had ever had in their entire history. In other words, totally bankrupt. But here they are spending the taxpayers' money on £100 million pounds, or $200 million dollars, on supporting genetically modified crops for the world's poor, they say. What a lot of bunkum for the world's poor. This is white paper shows government plans major rise in investment in research as report calls for a moratorium and questions approach. Why are we funding private companies like Monsanto, etc.? Why is this a mandate as well? It's a mandate, obviously. I said that years ago. This is a mandate. Nothing's going to stop it. We're all beating the modified food. What on earth is and all that? Why is everybody dying of cancers nowadays? Well, is it because these new GM veggies are absolutely soaked 
and pesticides, deadly pesticides perhaps, through every cell in the, in the plant. And since we're not used to, you see, we're not, nature hasn't equipped us to, to, to excrete this stuff and deal with it or neutralize it, then we, we have cellular alterations called cancers breaking out all over. They know this at the top. But it's a must-be. Mind you, at the top, they're not eating this stuff. They don't eat this stuff. Even Monsanto's own laboratory staff, and the major one in the States, and I read the article from the newspaper, uh, they told their catering company not to use modified food for their staff. They won't eat it. What did they really modify in it, too? Why all this work towards replacing genes and splicing hundreds of genes for one leek or one carrot? Why? So Britain's going to, it's just planning to quietly spend up to 100 million pounds on support for genetically modified crops for the world's poor, despite not having allowed any of the controversial foods to be grown commercially at home. That's nonsense, too. Because when you go into, and I have all the data here, you know, even your cheese has it in it. How they got around all this in Europe and elsewhere was to, to admit there's GM uh, things in the foods, but the GM food itself is not GM. It's like the stuff they use to solidify cheese. Generally, they use a product from animals. Well, now they admit, no, they've been using for years uh, a genetically modified stuff. So that's in that. Pretty well, everything has got GM something in it. See? And they can still leave it, label it G, uh, GM free because the, the product itself, the actual item, is not completely GM. But the, the things that go into making it can be. So they're doing that. And as they're doing that for the future, as it must be, as I say, that we all eat this stuff. Uh, there's an article from guardian.co.uk. And farmers show little appetite for anti-meat campaigns. Now, I've talked before how they're bringing in a vegetarian world. It's a must-be. We will be off meat, believe you me. And you'll be punished if you buy meat because through carbon taxes. They're actually going to do that, by the way. This is our campaigns such as Meat Free Monday wrongly vilifying farmers and meat eaters, or could we all do with a little less meat in our diet? This is, will you be eating meat today? If so, you will be uh, pleasing Rees Roberts, the chairman of Meat Promotion Wales, who said this weekend at the Royal Welsh Show in Powys that campaigns such as Meat Free Monday portray farmers and meat eaters, eaters as people who do not care about the environment. And, and all these NGOs, remember, are funded by the big foundations. Since last month, Sir Paul McCartney launched his Meat Free Monday campaign to try and show what we can do to make a meaningful contribution to a cleaner, more sustainable, healthier world. That isn't, oh, yeah, ooh, makes you go green, doesn't it? You want to throw up. The former Beatles said, having one designated Meat Free Day a week is actually a meaningful change that everyone can make that goes to the heart of several important political, environmental, and ethical issues all at once. But Roberts is having none of it. He's quoted by the BBC as saying, we've had celebrities calling for meat-free Mondays and even a town in Belgium trying to ban meat one day a week. The more extreme elements go further, accusing livestock farmers and meat-eaters of killing the planet and heaping all the woes of climate change onto our shoulders. And that's true. That's from the big foundations, Rockefeller especially. And then they go on and on about how, how much 
energy it takes. It's not energy cost-effective to, to, to raise beef. We've been doing it for thousands of years, but it's just not cost-effective now, you see, etc., etc. So that's what they're, they're doing there. And it will be a, a meat-free vegetarian worlds, and we'll be left to eat only their mandated GMO foods as we die off with cancers and all the rest of it. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. And before I forget this, uh, there was a good documentary on television last night in Canada, and it goes into, again, our, the, the Food and Drug Administration for Canada and the States, and how they're, how they're only now through, again, people themselves, grassroots people, not organizations, uh, coming forth with all the things that's happened to them with these energy and cost-efficient bulbs, you know, the twisted ones. That's supposed to be so good for us. The ones that are full of mercury vapor. So don't breathe if it breaks, for God's sake. And the things are given off so much radiation that people are actually getting UV burns off them. And you actually see the photographs of a woman there and she talks on, on this, this uh, documentary, television documentary, of what happened here. They tell you, oh, now you can't sit any, more, any closer than a foot away from this thing. Don't use it in a death lamp. But it also gives off this, this sort of ELF power wave from it, too. And you've got these guys with the, these meters that can sense the, 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 the radiation from it. And there are hundreds of times more dirty energy producing that's what they call it, dirty electricity producing, as a field force around it than ordinary light bulbs, the ones that they're replacing. They actually take up more juice and emit all this radio frequency outside of it too. That's making people sick. So go into my site, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. All these links will be on the site and watch this video because it's the first one I've seen out there from a mainstream television station doing any in-depth Talk about, and you'll hear guys who are epidemiologists and even a neurosurgeon talking about the effects that it has on you and, and the patients that they deal with because of it. And it's amazing too because they, they talk to the, the minister for, the, for all this stuff and the, the Canadian government, the politician, and it's all, well, it's all news to them. Well, how come they passed all this as being safe if they never tested it in the first place? something. The Mail Online. Swine flu, a bigger threat to Britain than terrorism, says Alan Johnson, 19th of July, 2009. Says, Swine flu poses a greater threat to Britain than terrorism, Home, Se Home Secretary Alan Johnson said yesterday. We've been preparing for this for a long time, he told BBC One's Andrew Marshall. Now listen to this. He's been they've been preparing for this for a long time. Long bef way before Higgs got involved in it, apparently. It came above terrorism as a threat to this country, so we had the whole COBRA, they're called COBRA, C-O-B-R-A, machinery and interagency working. We've gone through simulation exercises where everyone was involved. COBRA is the government's emergency committee that handles major disasters. Every country in the Western world came out with the same disaster specialists at the same time in the mid-90s. They never had them during the whole Cold War, when we're supposed to be getting nuked at any time. And after uh, we're all going to peace and quiet in the world, these governments start spending incredible amounts of money on these emergency committees 
and headquarters for them and networks so they can all communicate with each other for major disasters. Why now, eh? Well, it's part of the agenda. Without world wars, you see, they've got to find a type of war to keep control. Got to keep the people punch drunk and scared. <clears throat> it was reported last night that criminals who have committed minor offences, listen to this, could be handed fines <clears throat> or cautions rather than appear in court under plans to prevent the Crown Prosecution Service being crippled by swine flu. So in other words, if there's any kind of flu outbreak, you don't go to court anymore. The cops will be like Judge Dredd, a good movie you see, because of all the predictor programming in there too. Where cops are the, are, are the, the judges and the executioners. And that's what they want, by the way. Ireland's already putting that through, that law. That if they even anyone complains that you might be a member of a gang or associate with anyone that's a gang, uh, then you can be tried without a, a jury. So this is another way of doing the same thing. If they want to do away with jury cases and just make it cheaper for them, go back to the old justice of the peace that sends you off to Australia. If you steal a loaf of bread and you're hungry. Crimes which we dealt with in this manner include theft and low-level drug offences. It was reported last night. Back with more after this break. This is Alan Watts. We're cutting through the matrix. Uh, just reading a report from Britain of how the swine flu is the greatest threat ever, apparently. And he goes on to talk about uh, the economy and uh, so many... He, they've already worked it down to statistics. And if so many people are sick, you see the economy will already plummet, exacerbating the economic depression that we're in and all the rest of it. So the economy must keep going at all costs, regardless of who's dying and how many are dying. It's who all exist to serve the economy, apparently in this system until we just exist to serve in the, in the system they're bringing through after all this and bearing that in mind that they all exist to save the economy and keep it going remember after 9-11 they said bye 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 keep the economy going that was in the mainstream every country was, had their prime ministers and presidents saying the same thing well here's the other end of it too from the same BBC tagging technology to track trash is in the US it says, uh, 14th of July, 2009, it says, Carlo Ratti explains how the tiny tags work. The ebb and flow of thousands of pieces of household rubbish are to be tracked using sophisticated mobile tags. It's hoped that making people confront the final journey of their waste will make them reduce what they throw away. Well, we don't ask for all this packaging, do we? There's a reason how the, the abuser blames the victim. All the time. Initially, 3,000 pieces of rubbish donated by volunteers, what a messy lot, eh, will be tagged in New York, Seattle, and London. Trash is almost an invisible system today, Asaf Bitterman, one of the project leaders at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, told the BBC News that the Massachusetts Institute of Technology is high up there with CIA and government. You throw something in the garbage and a lot of us forget about it. It gets buried, it gets burned, it gets shipped overseas. The trash track aims to make that process termed the removal chain more transparent. Oh, here we go. Friends of the Earth 
Senior Waste Campaigner Michael Warhurst said the project could be a useful tool for highlighting the impact of rubbish. There's another NGO foundation bunch, Friends of the Earth. You should see some of the statements they've made about people <laughs> and populations. Waste doesn't simply disappear when we throw it away, and all too often it ends up causing damage when it could be recycled instead. And I'll tell you what they're really up to here. You see, this carbon tax is to come all the way down from the big corporations down to you as an individual. And yes, you will get carbon bills one day for, for what you're going to cost them to get rid of that excess packaging that you didn't ask for in the first place. And they're not going to stop there. They're also going on to water. And... They want, this is from the theguardian.uk. Food products should carry water footprint information, says report. Isn't that amazing? So we're going off to all your packaging and all the food and all the rest of it and, and the water content there as well. It says the hidden amounts of water used in manufacturing food and drink products should be made known to customers according to lobby groups. You see? Lobby groups. Food and drink products should carry the new label to give consumers more information about their water footprints. There's a carbon footprint and a water footprint now. The hidden amount of water used in the manufacturing process to health and food lobby groups will, will recommend this. It's lovely how the, the media prints it before they've even had the meeting. The joint report by the Food Ethics Council, NGO, and the health and food group Sustain. Guess who they are funded by? And you'll be paying for all of this. And they claim there's no water. We're running out of water. It's been raining here for June and July every darn day in Canada. Same as last year. We're over up to our, ec- our necks in water. But not so. Reality shouldn't change. It should. Facts don't really count here in a mandate, do they? From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your gods or your gods go with you. Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. <laughs>